Welcome to the Business Influencer Podcast, where we will be interviewing and exploring the success stories of entrepreneurs, business leaders, senior policymakers, and getting insights from thought leaders around the issues of the day. We will be delving into and analyzing the latest news around tech, geopolitics, finance, global business, entrepreneurship, property, leadership, law, philanthropy, and life. This podcast is available on all platforms, but for those of you who prefer to watch, uh, we have the Natural Media YouTube channel. Please subscribe and you can watch all the interviews. Uh, you can also follow the show's updates on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Please do leave a review as it helps to get the word out and about. Uh, my name is Ninda Johal. I am the co-founder of The Natural Group, the Signature Awards, and co-publisher of the Business Influencer magazine, and I will be your host for the show. In this episode, I speak to business leader Kevin Harris, who's a leading voice in the East Midlands and the business community, and also happens to be Leicester Managing Partner at RSM UK. Uh, we talk about the importance of entrepreneurship. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? Can you spot an entrepreneur? Why leadership matters? And above all, how does leadership matter when it comes to place? What's the future of government funding for cities and towns? And how might this affect the future of entrepreneurship and the sustainability of communities? So let's pop over and have a listen to Kevin Harris. Afternoon, Kevin. Thank you for taking out time to see... I know you're a busy man. Good afternoon, Linda. Good to see you. Yeah, it's a nice part of the world, this part of Leicester, isn't it? It's very nice. nice, nice very good, good location. Yeah. Um, like for, for, for those of you, because obviously we, we tend to have a national uh, profile, so for those of you who are not from the East Midlands, uh, Kevin Harris is managing partner of RSM, the Leicester, yep. Leicester office. Um, today is, well, I forgot what day it is now, it's Thursday. Yep. Um, Thursday the 14th. So two days ago, which makes it Tuesday, you yep. stepped down as uh, as LEP chair, which yep. is a local enterprise partnership chair. We'll talk about that a bit later on. Um, I think you did four years as chair. Four years as chair, four years as vice chair. Yeah, and, 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 we'll, and we'll chat about what that means, uh, yep. the local enterprise partnership. Um, as a result of you being partner, uh, sorry, as, as part of being the LEP chair, you were then obviously a board director of the Midlands Engine. Midlands Engine, yeah. Uh, and we'll chat about the Midlands Engine as well. That's another acronym I want you to all hear. Um, and then, of course, um, and I've seen you plenty of times as previous president, but also board director at the East Midlands Chamber of Commerce. Correct. Lots of titles. Have I, have I, have I covered everything? <laughs> that's, that, that, that's enough for now, yeah, okay. absolutely. Now, I wanted to chat to you about three things, Kevin, which is why I came seeking you out. Yeah. Is One is... We've just said you're managing partners, so you're in a leadership role on a day-to-day -day basis. You obviously had a leadership role on chairing the LEP. Um, as as someone who's a managing partner at a, an accountancy firm, one of the leading accountancy firms, you see entrepreneurs all the time. Mm -hmm. So I want to get from you, can you spot, can you tell a great entrepreneur, and what are those traits, and what are the things you should be saying to entrepreneurs to watch out for? And then um, I'd like to pick up, um, because you've been chair of the LEP, the Local Enterprise Partnership, how important is the place 
in which businesses operate from, where residents live, and where people have leisure and culture. How important is that? And how does it fit in with entrepreneurship and leadership? And we'll tackle that at the end. Okay. So that's the sort of logic. And, and you're one of the very few, and that's why I came seeking you out, who's a leader, understands entrepreneurship, and definitely understands the role of the place. Yep. So let's go back then. Yep. Um, how did you end up in the field of accounting? Just so people can understand the context of how you arrived here. Because you're not Leicester-born, are you? No, no, I was born in Birmingham. Uh, I was born in, uh, in Stetchford in Birmingham um, and, and my education was in Birmingham and I guess I always, always found I was quite good at numbers okay. at school, so maths was uh, a subject I seemed to excel in um, and I guess that led me through my O-levels and various A-levels and I ended up going to, um, I went to Polytechnic. I didn't get the grades for university, I went to Poly, but I went to a Poly that actually had a course that meant you were out in industry for a bit. So I spent time uh, out in industry and experienced, uh, you know, for one year what it was like to work in a finance nice. department in an office. And I think that really, really gave me a great grounding when I came into the profession. I don't know, and I'm going to be careful, I don't aberrate too much, but was that important, that one year? I mean, don't you think education should be doing more of that? It, I think it was vitally important. So sandwich courses, there weren't that many of them around. That's right. and, and the polys ran them. A lot of the universities didn't run them. Um... But I actually look back on it, and I think that year in industry, partway through my degree, um, really was a, a great sort of understanding of, of business. And, and, and in truth, in recruiting graduates over the years, 20-odd years of recruiting graduates in, I do like to see people who've got a bit of experience outside of just the academic side, wherever it may be, working in some kind of business or organisation where they've, they've seen it at the coalface. I actually like that, and I look for that now. Um, so yeah, I think the answer is I think it gave me a really good grounding. Yeah, I think that must have been really, really good. And and and, and you're right. Um, recruiters tell me is when they're recruiting, the people in front of them just have no experience at all, and yeah. they're not sure what they're, what they're, what they're buying. Okay, so so you're good at numbers. Mm-hmm. So accountancy then came beckoning. You could see that. Um, and then how did you end up at RSM? Well, I I I ended up. Purely by chance, I think, really, that I got recruited by quite a large accountancy firm in Birmingham um, back in the, the late 80s. And I worked through and, and, and qualified uh, with that organisation. Um, but then I, I moved out of the bigger firms and ended up with a, a smaller firm in Birmingham for a bit, in St Paul's Square, uh, where I, I sort of did a lot of training in manufacturing and jewellery quarter and all that at part of Birmingham. Um, and then somebody suggested to me when I hit a glass ceiling really when I qualified why don't you look at a firm in the East Midlands and I'll be honest I hadn't really oh. didn't know much about the East Midlands I was a West Midlands guy um, so I joined a regional firm at that time and just at the right time because they were going through a lot of change and I ended up finding within five years of joining them I ended up as, as a partner wow. so I went from sort of a new qualified into partnership in five years which was a very steep uh, curve um, worked crazy hours, I guess. I'd got a couple of kids at that time as well, so thanks to my wife and the family around me supported me. But I ended up in a in a in a position in two thousand that I was a partner, um, which led on then to opening an office in Leicester. Frankly, as my first, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be in a location. I was working in Nottingham at that time. But I had no real affinity with Nottingham. Um, Leicester. I inherited a few clients in Leicester when I became partner. 
And I came down to Leicester and started networking down here, and I just really liked the place. It was, yeah. it was a bit like a mini Birmingham. Yeah, um, it's, it is a nice place. And, and I just got into that sort of circles and the networks, and and it really spun out from there. And then within twelve months of making partner, I put forward a plan to open an office here. So the third office of that firm became a Leicester office, which I spent the next fifteen years growing and running. It's a nice office. And then it's obviously I, I left, I left that firm. I moved to. Um, I take 12 months out yeah. um, and, and looked at what did I want to do. I just turned 50 at that time uh, and I joined RSM. So I joined RSM four and a half, nearly five years ago now, which was a big step because obviously it's a much bigger organisation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've sort of gone the opposite bigger. way. A lot of people go in the big firms and then go down to smaller firms when they get later in the career. That's I've right, gone the opposite do. way. <laughs> yeah. so, so, got you, yeah. you know, so I've ended up in a, in a big organisation now, um, you know, 5,000 people which is very different to what I've spent most of my career in, but different challenges, you know. So d- during your journey then, um, you know, from newly qualified, you obviously were put in charge of teams. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I remember you saying earlier on that you've actually got an MBA from the Open University. Yeah. Um, so people tell me, tell me if I'm wrong here, they say accountants and lawyers are technically very good at what they do, yeah. but they've never been taught two or three things. They're not the best communicators. Mm-hmm. Um, they um, are not the best leaders. And both of those things are a function of the fact that they excel at technically, yeah. but have never been taught. Yeah. And, and, and they're not the best team workers. You seem to have broken all three, but 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 is that true? Uh-huh. And, and if it is true, how did you then overcome? I th- I think this is, I think in the main, I think that a lot of those points that you've raised there, I, I could think of a lot of people I've worked with in the profession that would certainly not the best people to to manage other people. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think a lot of accountants by nature are very entrepreneurial. I don't think they're incredibly visionary. I think a lot of people buy, and it's probably just the behavioural characteristics that go with being quite a technical accountant. You know, a lot of it's analytical, it's analyst approach. Could it be the training? Getting the detail, the training, right? yeah. could be the training, but could I think the, the profession often attracts people in who oh. who hit those t- who have those characteristics. And it's very much about getting through exams, and it's very much about... You know, having that logical approach through. Um, sometimes you get the odd person who slips through the net, and I think I'm probably one of those. Um, I actually never thought for one minute I would end up in the profession my whole career. I thought I'd end up going into industry, doing very different things. But I guess I've I, I managed to have opportunities presented to me and carved out opportunities that meant I had to test the skills around leadership, around people management. And frankly, the hardest part, I think, in any organisation is, 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 mani- is yeah. managing and leading people. Yeah. They offer you the biggest challenges yeah. you get. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and professional services is essentially people-focused. The only asset you've really got, apart from your clients, obviously, is the people. It's not about the buildings and the locations. It's about the people. And, and the more I've learned in, in developing and building teams is you've got to get the right people. If you don't get the right people, you're always going to be compromising. So I've, in joining RSM as I did, my key role in joining this firm was to build the senior leadership team around me. And that's what we spent the last five years doing. But you, you get a feel for what kind of people are going to work in the, in the way that you need people to work and they're going to gel together. And I think that comes with time and experience, to be honest. 
Linda. So I think a lot of the traits you say about accountants, yeah, it's thrown at people with accountancy. <laughs> but, but, but a lot of it is true. <laughs> a lot of it is true. Um, but I think you then get some people who would, it just happens to be that they work in the professional services and accounting field, but they're not the technical accountants. They're the people who rise into the roles of leadership and management. Because, um, uh, listen, I want to become an accountant. I'll be honest with you. I, I, my first degree was accountancy and finance, but I flunked all the interviews. Um, was always thought, um, safe career, safe career. But I, 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 I always think when somebody says, oh, what are you doing there? An accountant will always say, well, actually, I'm, on, I'm just an accountant. And, you, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they sort of almost are resigned to the fact you're, that... You're almost... <laughs> you, you, it's the old dinner party thing, isn't That's it? You know, right. Avoid the accountant at the dinner party. And I think, you know... But, but actually, there are a number of people, and I know many good leaders yeah. in accountancy, um, yeah. and they tend to be the people that get involved in the, the more leadership and the management and the team leadership roles. But you also need a lot of people who are very happy doing the other yeah. part of the job. And, right. you know, a lot, of, right. a, a lot of strong accountants are technically strong, and you need that. You know, it's a technical profession in many yeah. ways. So, and, they, and they don't want the leadership. No, they don't. And they're quite happy to have people, you know, not doing that part of the job. It's similar to things like business development and, cl and winning clients. You know, in, 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 this, in this firm, in any professional services firm, there are those rainmakers that love being out there. They love, they love the interaction and the social side of it. There's also a lot of people who just shy away from that. They don't want that. So, Kevin, did you, did you then pick up those leadership skills over time, do, do, do you think they can be taught or do you think you're born with them? I was very fortunate back in the uh, late 90s to, to be working alongside one or two partners in the firm I was in who okay. were very market-facing, who actually weren't that traditional cut of um, you know the accountant sitting yep. behind the desk yeah. working on a load of figures. They, they saw that it was about getting out and spending time outside of the office, networking, connecting, and all those skills really around and the confidence building came from, I think, working with those partners at that time, seeing how they did it, observing what they did, which is why I'm such a big believer now. And the last two years have been difficult with this, with us not being mm. in offices. It's important that people realise the job involves not just sitting behind a desk and doing, doing a set of accounts. It's about the people interaction and building those interaction communication skills. That's what sets a good apart accountant, apart from a, a great accountant, in my view. And a lot of people say to me, Kevin, you don't come across as an accountant. And I think, I don't know if I take that as a compliment or not. I'll take part of it as a compliment. But I do think it's it's been a, but coming back to your question, it was, a, it was learning on the job. And it was spotting those people that did that and thinking, they're really good at that. I'd like to be good at that. And I wanted to be in the market. Do, do you think, I could be wrong here because I'm not accountable work, do you think accountancy firms should be teaching their people to become better managers? I think what they do now, and I think if you look at, say, RSM and a lot of the, the certainly the larger accounting firms, is you try and identify the traits, those people that are going to be the ones that are going to okay. that, that like it. Okay. So you get an intake of students come through and they work through and you watch them and you think, that person's going to, I think that person's got something about them. They, okay. But you want people who want to do it. Yeah. You don't want to feel that you've got to push people into doing yeah. networking because for some people it's, oh, yeah, it's not what they want to do. No. But there will be enough people, and, and your recruitment should look at that. When you recruit people in, you should be recruiting people. You don't want everybody the same. You, and, and you don't want everybody who can just pass exams. Yeah. That's great in one way, but you want people who've got a range of skills. And you recognise that some people aren't maybe technically the strongest, but they've got other skills and attributes that you can bring forward. 
So I like, I like to recruit yeah. on. I like to recruit a mix of people, and I like people around me who've got a, a balancing of skills. For those who, um, I'm slightly going to just move slightly on the side. Uh, can you spot a partner on recruitment? Or can you spot one within within a month, month, couple of months? Uh, it depends what level they come in at, and right. to be honest, I think what you can do is you, 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 you can you can spot somebody who's got the raw the raw yeah. tools that you need to then develop and build. And I think the important thing now is to recognise that if you need somebody to do a certain role in a firm like this, you've got to get somebody who's got those basic skills and attributes there, yeah. and you can shape that and you can you can help them in that. Um, not put them through the same process. In the old days when I trained, everybody went through the same process. Nowadays, you can actually put people on a different track and recognise that there's a role, you need people to do this role, and the majority of people can't. So let's let's put that person on that track throughout their career. And I think we've, we've woken up a lot to that in the profession over recent years. So, so again, um, just staying on leadership then, um, so, so I, th- I think you said it a, a few minutes earlier, recruitment is really key. Um, I've heard law firms recently complain that they can't get yep. lawyers. Um, and obviously there's a lot of sectors that are complaining that they can't get hold of labour anyway, so I yep. think lawyers are no, no exception. Um, so in terms of recruitment, what do you look for? So, so if somebody wants to go into the accountancy profession is listening to this podcast and thinks, well, next time I'm, 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 I'm in front of Kevin, yep. I need to know what his brain ticks so I can make sure. So what sort of kind of things do you look for then when somebody's sitting opposite? Remember this is an accountancy field? So. I think I personally look for somebody who's got something a little bit, a little bit different. You know, I, there's a lot of, we fortunately do get a lot of people who are really keen to join our organisation. Yeah, you know, of course. an employer brand is so important, isn't it? You know, you've yep. got to have a brand that people yep. associate with. And it's not just about putting, you know, values up on the wall that people can see. Yeah. It's about living it. Yeah. And you don't know that until you, act. the one thing about working with a professional services firm, you don't really know what the culture's like until you get inside it. Yeah. So you can say all the right things. Yeah. So what I'm looking for often is, um, is people who've got, skill sets and, and experience a little bit outside what the norm may be. Um, so when I interview and, and talk with people, I'm trying to home in on those things that are not the, the routine stuff that people would ask, what qualifications they've got, how good yeah. they are at this. I'm looking at what they may have done in their spare time. You know, I, I remember recruiting somebody in who spent a lot of time in Africa training a football team, a young school football team, and we spent the whole interview talking about how he, and, and that was about his team management, leadership skills, dealing with issues as they arose. That's the stuff I wanted to dig into. What did he learn from that? The other stuff is pretty much routine that everybody's got. You know, which university they went to, what the hardest challenges they were. So I like it when people have got a bit of a different experience and maybe a challenge they've had and they've had to overcome it. Let's spend some time understanding that. Because that's the bit I want to know what's really in their heart and what what they've got, you know, within them. Your leadership must have been tested during COVID. Uh, you've had people saying, well, we were told all to work from home. Um, clients look to you for that professional insight into what they're doing, they expect to meet you, they can't meet you anymore. Um, suddenly, the people who report to you are now remote. Yeah. You don't know how they really feel. Okay, you see them on the screen, but you don't really have, you don't really see. How difficult was that? And, and, and how, 
difficult is it still has it changed that, that whole covid working from home flexibility i think it was probably and i'm sure a lot of people would agree the most difficult challenge for for, for a, a people focused business mm. you know and i know old businesses will say the people at the heart but you know we suddenly overnight i remember shutting the doors in this office the day we shut the office and thinking we don't know when we're coming back in That's right. and we're entering new territory here yeah. you know suddenly we had to put 5000 people working virtually you know the the pressures on your IT structures for a start, yeah, yeah, enormous, you know, yeah, can you yeah. do this? Because you've never, ever, in all of your planning, never thought you're going to have to do what we do. Right. Um, it was very tough. And I think it was the hardest, certainly the six, first six to nine months of it, because I'm used to coming into this office every day, sitting down and seeing people face to face, looking them in the eyes, and you can tell often... Yeah where people are at That's and right. what's going on and what they're, you know, yeah. and you don't, if you're, if you're good in management, I think you, you don't need to actually be asking a lot of that. You can just sense it with people. If you're close to your team, you know that losing that closeness. Okay. We were doing it virtually, but I'm, I, I manage by what I see and what I feel yeah. in the, in the environment and um, not being able to do that made it really, really difficult. And I, I think, you, you know, you, you mentioned it, then you've got the big mental well-being. you know, are people really as good as what you see on the screen? That's right. For an hour a day doesn't mean you, that's different to observing somebody around an office seven or eight hours Body a day. Body language says it all. You know, so I, I think the loss of that, I actually think many organisations have coped incredibly well with it. But I think now, this is the challenging bit now, because we've got back in, the you know, offices are back open. People are still trying to deal with it, but we've all changed our outlook a little bit, haven't we? And. And, and the hybrid working is, is a great opportunity, I think, for people. Right. Work-life balance, I think, is a great opportunity for people to get that. Maybe we got, got it a little bit wrong and yeah, we, yeah. we've readjusted it. Yeah, that's what my point know, I, I had that 12 yeah. months out. You know, five yeah. years ago, I had 12 months out of working, going from a high-pressure job. I couldn't work because that was the terms of my leaving the organisation. But it gave me a real chance to stop and think and reflect about when I go back into the workplace, am I going to go back in as I went in before or am I going to be different? And I made a decision then, I'm going to be different. I am not going to do the 60, 70 hour weeks anymore. I'm going to do what I need to do and I'm going to cut my work life away from my family life mm -hmm. and I'm going to enjoy it. And so I had that opportunity five years ago. And I think a lot of people have had a bit of that opportunity, although it's more pressured with what's happened in the last couple of years. And I hope people have taken stock and I hope people don't go back to a lot of the, the bad stuff maybe they were doing before. Don't just go back to that. Stop and think about it and how you can adjust that that balance and get it right. So I'm hoping people have done that. And I, I see a few people around who've done that, which is really good. Do you think you changed as a result of the experience or, 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 or not really? No, I don't think I did. But I think I changed when I had that 12 months out. Oh, okay. You That's know, when you know, went five years the... ago when yeah, I had 12 it. months away yeah. and I, I went from a very pressured environment over 20 odd years. You know, when you're in that environment, you don't notice it. You just, you, you get out of bed every day. Yeah. You know, you, you're on the wheel, aren't you? You're churning yeah. it out. And it's only when you take some time out and stop right. that you think, you know, I couldn't have carried on like that. Um, so that's when I did that 12 months. Reflection. It's interesting, yeah. So, so you did it then, whereas a lot of people are telling me they did it in these two years. Yeah. So you'd already been through that experience. But yeah. a lot of people did it in those two years where they went, whoa, hold on. And, and interestingly, when I joined RSM, one of the things was I, 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 I agreed that I would almost adopt a bit of a hybrid working. This was before, obviously, COVID. So one day a week, I'd probably work at home. Yeah. Um, so I was into that bit of hybrid. And I, yeah. I thought, this works, you know. And I was really trying to get 
people within the organisation to feel that way. But then it was thrust upon us, wasn't it? And you've got a, a lot of hybrid working, I think, in the past with organisations that wouldn't do it. I'll be honest, I think it was based on trust. Yes. I think a lot of it was, can we really trust our people yeah. to be working at home? Well, you've had to trust them now, haven't you? And I think what we've done is we've realised you can trust people. And actually people still work as well. They probably work even better. Is the workforce happier? I think some people are happier now. Yeah. And, they, and they would not have changed had it not been for the changes around COVID. You know, and I, and I genuinely think, I, I believe in the old saying, some good comes out of some bad. It's been a terrible time for lots of people. But let's just try and take the positives out of it because I think they are there. I think um, the people did suffer, and particularly the professions, with the newly recruited mm. because they didn't have the mentors and the people. So, yeah. so hopefully this will... You're absolutely right. And that's the bit that we as an organisation, I can see now people who joined this organisation two years ago, they've got nowhere near the development that they should have had in two years. Yeah. And we've got to really try and catch up there. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big challenge for organisations like this. But, you know, we're working hard on that. Yeah. And, um, you know, we will. We will get people to there. But Interesting. So um, you mentioned that uh, one of your previous jobs, it was very entrepreneurial-led. So you got a bit of an insight into the sort of the mindset of entrepreneurs because you're sort of part of that team yeah. that sort of led. Now, of course, you've still got to, you've, you know, you've still got to be entrepreneurial-led to run a yeah. machine like this. You can't just sit back and expect the phone calls no. to come in. So there's still that element of entrepreneur definitely to grow a practice. Uh, but of course, part of your remit is you come across entrepreneurs all the time. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me, um, what are, what are the obvious traits you spot? They're in and out of this place all the time. What are the sort of three or three or more traits you spot? You, yeah, this, this this guy's going somewhere. This girl's going somewhere. This one's. Going. It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? You know what makes a good entrepreneur? I, yeah. I think number one, I think, is resilience. Okay. I think the people that really come through and make it other people who we all get knockbacks in life yeah yeah and they always say you know what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger i actually think true entrepreneurs are those people that are going to take the knockbacks and they're going to bounce back and they do yeah Uh, whereas a lot of people might just decide that's it i've had enough no more so i think entrepreneurs often it's it's, resilience is a big one and i think linked to that was a bit confidence you know, sometimes people don't come across as being the most confident people. I, I was never a very confident person, certainly at school. Oh, I find that difficult to believe. But I think you, 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 you build in that. And I think, you know, success breeds confidence. Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, as you start to think, well, you know, I can make a go at this. Yeah. Mine was thinking, well, okay, I, I'm up against people who went to great universities. They, frankly, they were much cleverer people than I was, much more intelligent yeah. than I was. But you know what? I've got some staying power and I could stick in there with them and I'm not going to give up. And I think that, so that confidence in yourself and it builds. But I think the other thing is being a bit visionary. And I think vision, you know, I, I like to think that, in, and I like to consider myself as a bit of an entrepreneur, if I'm honest. Yeah, There's yeah. much better entrepreneurs out there, I know that. But I think looking to the future, not focusing too much on just what's in front of your face now. Trying to, trying to horizon plan a bit, trying to look to the future. Trying to think, it's not always going to be like this. I can, I can do something and make it a bit different. So I think that sort of confidence, the resilience, the visionary traits are really important in entrepreneurs. So they're the bits you can spot. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting here and I'm saying to you, Kevin, I'm about to start a new business. Mm-hmm. Somebody said to me, I'll to come and see you because you're one of the accountants, yeah, and yeah. one of the leading lights in this region. Give me three pieces of advice. So I've got those three bits you've just told me. Yeah. 
but give me three pieces of advice of just starting up today. Okay. What, uh, should, what, what, should, what should I have in mind? Well, place? the first one would be obviously get yourself a good accountant. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the first one would be, you know, make sure that you do surround yourself with, with good people. And ideally, that needs to be people who've been through a bit of what you're going through as well. So I think the people side of it is really important. I think the other thing is have some patience. Because the one thing I find is that a lot of people who are very entrepreneurial, they want to get on with it. Yeah. They, want, they don't yeah. want things to stand in the way. Often it's very difficult for me as the accountant or the advisor to not look like you're putting obstacles in the yeah. way. But what you're, not, what you're trying to do is to protect people yeah. and make sure that you know, if things go a bit awry, they're right. I think, the, I think the other thing as well is that it comes back to that resilience point. It, there's going to be some knockbacks here. You know, recognise that. Recognise that everything, despite what I might try and help you with, is not going to go exactly to plan. We may need to take different tracks. We may need to do different things. We may need to respond to setbacks. That's that's the norm. Um, you know, recognise that you can have some bad days in all of this. Um, but hopefully... Some real dark moments. Yeah. And some dark moments. But But I come back to my first point. Surround yourself with good people. And surround yourself with positive people. I think that's really important. You know, positivity, positive thinking, believe in yourself. And, you know, even in those dark days, make sure you've got the right support to do it. Um, and I always like to think, I think there's a lot of an opportunity there where you get entrepreneurs who are very successful helping to mentor, work alongside people coming through. And I think there's a big there's a big opportunity there to make sure. And those people that have done it successfully often go on, and they sit on the boards or they sit as coaches mm. and mentors to 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 people coming through because they've they've been on the journey, haven't they? They've learned it all. It's interesting when you um, when you look at economics and when you look at entrepreneurship and you look at business. You always say to yourself, which region is the best? You know, does a region foster innovation does a region foster entrepreneurship we've only got to think about Silicon Valley the yep. place yep. look what that created so I suppose I'm now moving into your third and final role yep. which is around your chairmanship of the LEP yep. local enterprise partnership so very briefly tell us what a local enterprise partnership does yep. and how you would link that to everything you've said about entrepreneurship and everything you've said about leadership well, the LEPs, a LEP is essentially there. Its, it's, it's reason for being is to, is to convene key, part, key stakeholders, key partners together in order to produce you know, a, clear, a clear plan that we can deliver for economic growth in, in, a, in a location, in a region. So the LEPs' role essentially was to ensure that all of those key stakeholders, all the people that can make a difference, are sitting around one table. Um, and I'm sure, Ninda, you've seen in the past, things often, great ideas don't come to fruition because you haven't got all the right people there and they're not all getting it and you've got to make sure everyone gets it. So the whole idea and concept there was to get those group of stakeholders together. Essentially, the only thing that any part of the UK has got that another part hasn't got is the physical elements around its location. Yeah. And if we look at Leicester and Leicestershire, and the Midlands generally, our location in the centre of the country yeah. is absolutely your key asset. Yeah. If, if you were drawing up a balance sheet and saying, where's your strengths and a SWOT analysis, location is massive. massive. You know, everything really going from north to south, east to west comes through our patch. 
And and certainly in this location in Leicester and Leicestershire, you know, you look at that. You also look at the resilience. And I said this earlier, Leicestershire is a very entrepreneurial location. It's it's full of SMEs. That's it's right. an SME location. That's right. It's often a micro business location. That's right. You know, ninety odd percent of businesses are effectively micro businesses. So you've got entrepreneurial, you've got resilience, but you've also got the, the other massive factor, which is the cultural bit. You know, you look at Leicestershire, a bit like Birmingham in many ways, a massively diverse cultural mix. People who've got different views, different ideas, different ways of life. I love that because it all comes together. There's no clear message and way that it all works out. There's so many different ways. And I just think when you put all that together in a location, you've got something fantastic. So, so an investor, if I'm talking to an investor and I say, right, um, you're now gonna invest in a region. And this is what they throw at me. Yeah. So I said, you know, what do you look for? Don't mention skills. Does the region or the place we're going to have the right skills for us to locate? Yeah. They talk about infrastructure. What are the roads like? What are the connections like? You've just said logistically, it's a brilliant place to have, particularly for uh, warehousing. Yeah, and, yeah, and logistics. And your logistics, yeah. 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 Um, some would say, uh, particularly in London, um, they look for uh, innovation, tech clusters. So yeah. London's quite strong on that. The Midlands and Leicester, and certainly the West Midlands, Eastern, East and West is pretty strong on manufacturing. Yeah. Um, and of course, I, th I think we're no different to the rest of the country outside of London. We have a productivity issue. Yeah. So I suppose as, as, as and you've just stepped down, I know, but um, what for you were the main obstacles to realising the potential of Leicestershire? Yeah. I think, and, and a lot of points you mentioned there, obviously, are factors in this. I think one of the biggest obstacles was Leicester was just really, really bad at shouting about itself. It did some great stuff, yeah. fantastic businesses. But outside of the city and county, a lot of people didn't know about it. So I think one of the things, and we're, we're certainly not there yet, was to make sure people understand what goes on here. You know, And Leicester and Leicestershire got so much to offer in that regard. You mentioned skills at the start. You know, Leicester and Leicestershire is still a relatively low-skill economy. Um, part of my objectives when I got involved with the LEP, and certainly as chair, was to look at ways that we can upskill the workforce. And it's not going to happen overnight. No. Um, that's why I loved working through the LEP, because you've got connections to further education, higher education, sitting around the table. I've got great relationships with the three universities we have here. Um, and we know that we've got to bridge that gap between education and business. And if we can get that right in the country, that's going to be a massive thing. It's always been the thing I think we haven't got right. So for me... It was identify what Leicester and Leicestershire should be for the future. That's been the visionary bit. We had a chance, as LEPS did, to put what was called a local industrial strategy together a few years ago for government. Um, and a lot of these, I think, have ended up in a, in a dusty drawer at Whitehall yeah. at the moment yeah. and being re, rebadged as something else now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually what we did in Leicester and Leicestershire, we took that as an opportunity to really identify those things that we wanted Leicester and Leicestershire to be renowned for, not today, in the future so things like space space park in leicester absolutely fantastic you know what a great development innovation the innovation hub over at loughborough university now science enterprise park absolutely brilliant development you know one of my let board members dr nick Atecha. nick 
looked after and worked heavily on the innovation side with me, did a fantastic job on that. Um, so we've got things now, advanced manufacturing, absolutely. And then we've got the other things, which is logistics. We don't want Leicester and Leicester just to be full of great big warehouses. No, you don't. It's advanced logistics. It's about how can we use technology to really take it forward. And you go into an Amazon warehouse now, and what you see is just incredible technology going on. Um, we want to embrace that. We don't want people thinking in Leicester, unless they come through school, what's their job going to be? It's working in a warehouse, stacking shelves. No, we want them doing the high-end tech part of that. And that's a great opportunity. I guess you link it all together, Freeport. The Freeport opportunity, bringing all of that right. What a great, you know, groundbreaking opportunity for Leicester and Leicestershire to be part of, and the East Midlands as a whole. So I think you've got to you've got to try and create. Look, we're not going to change these things overnight, and that was what I always knew of being lep chair and being on the lep board. You're not going to change it in your time, even in your lifetime. What you can do is put the foundations in place for future change. So hopefully, in 30, 40 years' time, people look back and say, because of what was done then, we are where we are now. Um, now. The UK, and you'll see where I'm coming now, the UK is one of the most centralised countries in the advanced world. Yep. Number 10, number 11, number 12, 13, 14, or whatever they all are, hate to let go. And one of the things that has kept the country back is this central control. So local enterprise partnerships, I know the word local, were set up to free, to devolve the funding, to send the funding to people like yourself, for you then to go and spend it where you think is right, not some... Yeah, yeah. So I suppose my question to you now, and we're sort of quite close to finishing, is can you ever see, can you ever foresee a day when we really have do have that devolvement of funding and decision-making that this region and every other region really needs? It's a great, it's a great question. And it's, it's, you know, my last board meeting as chair was on Tuesday and the biggest item on the agenda was the devolution oh, okay. and, and, and the levelling up white paper. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you know, as the heart of that is government saying, we want to give these powers back. I genuinely believe, you know, I, I do genuinely believe there is a desire to put more of that into the regions. However, the problem is it's still very much based around political structures. Yeah. And, you know, Leicester and Leicestershire have some particularly complex ones to deal with. The preferred approach, I think, for government is to have combined authorities, to have a single point of contact and be able to, you know, channel significant amounts through that. And in the West Midlands, obviously, we have the combined authority. You have Andy Street in that position. Level three, great amount of powers. I would love to see that in in this location. Right. Um, so, 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 so the only question there, I, I, I was uh, I was called by a national newspaper who said, is this the end of the LEPs? That was the question. I said, hope not. And he said, why? What's wrong with sending it to... I said, because the beauty about the local enterprise partnerships was you had a business voice. Yeah. Each chair had to be private sector. So Correct. you removed the politics, just like you just said a few seconds ago. Uh, and so my concern is scale is great, yep. aligning with other structures is great, but what we mustn't do, and I fear we might do, is we lose all the progress business has made in getting the funding to the right place, the yep. infrastructure, productivity skills, and that disappears after some quangle driven by a politician 
who's thinking about the next election and not how the economy might benefit. That's just a and, view. I, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's my view. I think, you know, it's, it's all right having leps and having people sitting around and private sector people giving their time, which they do, uh, you know, in, in volumes. Um, if there's no money behind it, do you know what? It doesn't really going to make a difference. So ultimately, an advisory thing is just a waste of time. You've got to follow the money. And, and what I loved on the left board for the years was the ability to, to actually yes. decide where that money was going. That's right. Um, That's right. LEPs ultimately under the papers that are put out there will be absorbed into whatever structures are in place. I do fear personally, for where for where that's going to leave it, because my view is private sector members, busy private sector, business owners, chief execs, are not going to be interested in getting involved if they don't really have any influence on, on making that difference. And people have asked me if that's one of the reasons I stepped down. Uh, possibly. But, <laughs> uh, but I actually, I do have concerns about where, where LEPs will go. And, and if they get subsumed into wider political structures, yeah. I'm concerned where the private sector voice is then. And we need to keep private sector heavily involved. In fact, more involved, not less. The LEPs have been, I think, wonderful. Um, yeah. And there's lots of evidence of the best performing LEPs doing a brilliant job. Absolutely. Kevin, you're a busy man. I know time is virtually up. Just to summarise, it's been thank you for one, taking out the time. Great to see a fellow Brummy doing so well <laughs> in another part of the region. Uh, thank you for your comments around leadership on how you can improve leadership. Great insights on how you cope during COVID. Great advice for entrepreneurs, those who want to get into the entrepreneurial journey. And of course, we could have spoken for hours <laughs> on, on, on the importance of place. We'll but leave that for the future. We'll leave that for the future. So thank you very much. Uh, have a great day and uh, I look forward to catching up with you soon again. Thank you, Ninda. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed uh, this episode, and if so, please do leave a review. It all helps in promoting the podcast. Oh, and by the way, have a great day.